And now the rest of the story. But before we start talking about books, reading, and summer reading in particular, I have a couple other technology notes to float by you that I did not get to in part one. First of all, I am using GroupMe this year as a way to send class messages. This is something that was used a lot last spring, especially during the shelter at home period. And whether we shelter at home this year or not, I will be using this. This is just the quickest way to send a global email to everyone, uh, especially if there's a last minute change about classes or what to bring to class, uh, reminders about deadlines, that sort of thing. So uh, I can invite people to this, but the easiest way to do this is for you to use the phone number on the syllabus, text me your name and number, and ask to be added to the group. And then I will add you to the group me group for modernity. Now, of course, in order to do this, you need to put group me on your phone or device, whatever device you're using, prior to being added. So you put the app on your device, text me, tell me that you want in, and then I will go through GroupMe and I will add you in. Okay, so I guess that's a two-step process. Number one, if you know you're not in my contact list or even if you think you might not be, Text me with your name so that I can put you in my contact list. Then tell me that you are ready for the GroupMe invitation and the Google Classroom invitation, and I will add you to both of those. Now, I may not do this instantaneously because, quite honestly, these things tend to happen in bursts. So if five of you are texting me at the same time, I might wait till later in the evening, sit down, and then do everybody. If one request comes in by itself, I might be able to do it right then. But again, it depends on whether I'm at my one of my other jobs or whatever. Uh, but that, uh, that should be uh, on your list of things to do before school starts. That way, we can hit the ground running with all of these things plugged into their proper place. Second technology-related item, emailing assignments. As long as we are meeting in person, I prefer hard copy documents to be turned in unless otherwise specified. However, I do understand that sometimes the printer runs out of ink, sometimes the dog really does eat your homework, sometimes the, the internet goes out, sometimes life just happens. If you are having trouble printing out an assignment and you're under the wire, it's about time to leave to go to school, it's just, it's a problem. If you email me the assignment before class starts, there is no penalty, no late penalty for turning in the assignment. If you've gone through the student handbook, then you have already seen the policy for late and overdue assignments. Uh, of course, this applies to students who are in class, but their homework didn't make it in with them. Uh, but if you 
have the assignment, it's on your computer, it's on your device, but you just cannot get it to print out, you can email it to me. I also have a personal policy that if you email it to me late, but it is still that same day, and in a timely enough fashion that I know you didn't like rush home to do the homework that should have been done that day, then I will still dock you a few points as a reminder to, you know, turn things in on time, but not necessarily do the full letter drop. But that is based on the requirement that it is still turned in in a timely fashion even if it's not turned in on time per se at the beginning of class. Now, for a few words about reading. You hopefully have seen the book list for this class and you have purchased or have earmarked to purchase most or all of them. The one that we are reading for our summer reading is The New Road to Serfdom by Daniel Hannon. And it is a British perspective on what makes America different and what it is about America that we need to protect fiercely because if we lose it, then who we are as America changes. He also does a very good job of explaining why the rest of the world is so concerned with the way America does life with our politics and who we even elect as our president. It's rather interesting that if you talk to the average American, they can't tell you who the prime minister of England is. They can't tell you who the president of France is. But most of the world knows who the American president is. Some of the most prickly conversations that I have had with people about politics have been during my international travels. I found people in other countries who knew as much about the politics and the inner workings of my country or more than I did. And that is humbling. And that's also a little bit scary. Hannon does an excellent job of explaining why that is the case. Now, this book should be read before the first day of school. However, it is a short book. And here's the kicker. I am not requiring you to read chapters six or seven. Both of those books, sorry, both of those chapters are very heavy on statistics and comparing uh, governments from different countries. Uh, there are a lot of really long anecdotes that make very good points. But for a high school audience, you know, we, we need to visit those chapters, but we need to visit them as a class together. I'm not going to require you to read them on your own. Now take a look at your reading guide, which you received as part of your modernity packet. There are 40-something questions in this, 43. I actually eliminated several that I was originally going to ask. And if you're an upperclassman, one of my juniors or seniors who have been at Lighthouse for a while, you're looking at this and thinking, okay, it's a little annoying doing homework over summer, but 
I can do this. This is, this is easy. If you are one of my new incoming students or a rising freshman, this may look a little overwhelming. So let me point out a few things about this sheet and uh, clarify a few things that hopefully will take the stress out of this, especially for those of you who are younger or newer students. Because my older students who had me for American history last year, uh, some of this is actually a review. We have read about this and studied about this from other angles all last school year. And it is my new and incoming students for whom this is entirely new territory. Uh, so number one thing that you need to know about this is that the worksheet follows the book in chronological order. I don't skip around and put questions in odd, uh, you know, order. Uh, so like the first section that are the questions from the introduction, questions one through three, you will find them in the introduction in that order. And if I give you numbers, like numbers in a list, then all you have to do is list. It might be a word. It might be a phrase. You do not need to write complete sentences. Uh, now, several of the questions, and you'll see this in uh, under the heading, uh, Chapter 1, What Makes America Different? There are a lot of questions that are entirely in quotation marks. These are straight up fill in the blanks. If you are reading through the chapter and you run across that sentence, you can absolutely plug and play. Just fill in those words because what I'm doing here with these quotes is I'm getting you to really focus in on what some of these core lessons, these core points that Mr. Hannon is pointing out. Now, right away, you should see a pattern here. And that is if you sit down to read the book with this reading guide next to you, then as you run across those sentences, you can fill this in as you go. That's sort of the point of this. The worksheet is supposed to give you some bits and pieces for you to hang on to, for you to be looking for. So when you do run into paragraphs that seem to be a lot of statistics or a long example from British politics that you, you, you don't really have any context for, you can just keep hanging in there until you get to the core paragraphs where Hannon really locks in on what makes America different. And really what you're going to see as you work through this worksheet is that I'm focusing on the American side of this. He does a really good job of contrasting America with Europe, specifically the European Union. And I do ask you a few things about that along the way, but I'm mostly concerned with you seeing your own country through the eyes of someone who doesn't have your government, but kind of wish he did. Okay. Um, if you go over to the section uh, for chapter three, this is uh, starts at the bottom of page two. Uh, this is the chapter where Hannon compares the United States Constitution with the Constitution of the European Union. The things that you are going to fill in the blanks here, these are the hard facts. We're looking for short phrases or answers, but please be sure, especially if 
this is something that's kind of new to you, please be sure that you use specific wording. One of the things that I'm always telling my students is that general wording will cost you points in ways that you would be surprised. Uh, so a silly example of this is if I asked you on a test, who was George Washington? If you tell me a dead president, technically, yeah, he is a dead president, but that is not specific enough information for me to know which dead president you're talking about. I've given you the name. You've got to give me a little more than that to go on. And so same thing here. Now, since you're working straight from Hannon's book, you should be able to find the information as you go through. I've given you enough breadcrumbs along the way. But let's look at some questions from section four, the retreat from federalism. Uh, you are supposed to give me the three advantages for the dispersal of power. You might be able to give those answers in slightly shorter wording, but don't go so short on the wording that you leave the, the real meaning, you know, at the door. Uh, so you still want to be specific. Uh, don't get too general. Don't leave sections out of your answer. That is a common uh, mistake that I see with a lot of new students is that they, you know, they get in a rush. They're, they're trying to finish things up. They're, they're taking the middle school approach where, you know, we just copy the definition from the biology book and we're done with it. These sorts of questions require a little more attention or you're going to miss something. Uh, also, if you keep going through that same section, you'll notice that uh, around uh, questions like 28, 29, 30, um, etc., that I'm asking you to summarize lightly uh, some information about each of these people or events that caused the American Constitution or the use of it to be heavily modified or just outright changed. Some of my older students can sometimes err on the side of writing answers that are too long because they've been doing these discussion questions for a long time. Um, but you'll notice that I give you a limited number of lines, but the number of lines do give you an indication of how much I'm kind of looking for, because some of these you can explain in one, two short sentences. A couple of them may need a little bit more, but you shouldn't need to go more than the lines I've given you on the page. However, if you are giving me one word answers or short phrases, then you have not given me enough. Okay. So again, you're walking straight through this book. The answers are there. You should be able to follow them. Just boom, boom, boom. Just, you know, right down the page. Um, but just make sure that you don't spin your wheels by spending too much time or wording on any one question or too little. Um, in section five, this is very basic. This is probably the easiest part of the whole worksheet to answer, you're looking at those uh, section headers that are in all capital letters, okay? So even if the parts in between 
sound a little murky, that's okay. We are going for the main bullet points here. And then you see the notations there to skip chapter six and seven. And then the, the worksheet continues with more of the quotes, a couple more listing, but it is in these last two pages, numbers 38 and 43 in particular. Those are the questions that are small discussion questions. So again, if you are new to this humanities thing, give me two or three sentences to the best of your ability. If you are a returning student, especially if uh, graduation is in the crosshairs of your scope, then, you know, dress it up for me. You know, give it a little more punch, you know, bring to bear some of that American history that I know you got last year. Um, but that's the worksheet, okay? So not the most fun book to read, especially if politics ain't your thing. But I will say this. If you read this book and you finish this worksheet, then you have completed the hardest book that you will read this year. Promise. Pinky promise. Okay? Now, as far as chapter books that we read, the first couple, specifically Pride and Prejudice and Dracula, are... Uh, they are challenging reads, but they are stories. And both of those are stories which I am sure all of you are at least somewhat familiar with. And you'll have a little bit of older wording to work your way through. Uh, but still, you know, I, I don't see any of our novels, our short stories, the poetry that you'll be assigned this year. I don't see any of these as being anything too difficult. So if you can read The New Road to Serfdom, then you can read anything else that I present to you this year. Okay, so stiff upper lip, don't give up faith, you'll do fine with this. And also please understand that there is a measure of grace with this. I know that I've got some new people that probably already just by listening to this feel like they've been thrown into the deep end, you're going to be okay. All right. And again, my cell phone number is at the top of the syllabus. Put it in your phone. Text me if you've got questions. I had about three or four students last year, newer students. They were first time Lighthouse Humanity students. And they texted me a couple times a week, most weeks. Uh, with questions about homework, and I I love seeing those uh, because they were very intelligent questions. I could tell that they were wrestling with material, and if you just really get stuck on something, you know, that's fine. That's why I'm here. I'm here to answer questions. As for other reading for the rest of this semester, as far as novels are concerned, that is, uh, short stories and poems will be assigned along the way as appropriate. Um, I'm going to hold off on giving a list of that right now. But the novels that you will be reading this semester will be Pride and Prejudice, Dracula, and A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And we will read them in that order. 
I anticipate spending six to seven weeks on Pride and Prejudice and about that long on Dracula. We will start A Christmas Carol hopefully around the beginning of November. That one is very short. It's not really a novel. It's more what is typically called a novella. It's very short. Uh, again, another of those stories that you're probably very familiar with, at least to a point, simply because of the 10,000 movie and cartoon versions that are out there and get played every Christmas season. Um, I'm really looking forward to going through all three of these books with you. They are each, in their own way, three of my favorites, although I was very late in coming around to Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen in particular, which is a whole other story, but I've converted. I'm a Jane Austen fan now, and for uh, several reasons that you might not expect, but that's for another class discussion. The last thing I want to mention here is a parting word about Dracula. Every time modernity rolls around and I assign this book, I always have at least one parent who is concerned that I am giving a very dark, seedy, very sensual uh, book for students to read. Nothing could be further from the truth. A dark Gothic novel, yes, but not dark in the sense of what we tend to think of as dark as, you know, 21st century Americans. Uh, there is not a single movie version that I know of, not a single television miniseries version that I know of that even remotely resembles this book. Not even the 1930s black and white version starring Bela Lugosi, which is my personal favorite because I just like old black and white movies. But even that one makes huge departures from the book. Dracula is a distinctly Christian book with a Christian worldview. And yes, there are vampires. You've got people changing into bats. There's conspiracy. There's darkness. There's creepy castles that have to be escaped from. Like there are a lot of the trappings that you would expect from Dracula, but there is also such a clear presentation of light and the responsibility that light bearers, which we as Christians, that's who we are, we are light bearers, the responsibility we have to fight against the forces of darkness, to be light bearers into a darkened world, and to do the brave and hard thing, even when nobody is noticing, even when the rest of the world thinks we're crazy. Uh, there is not a single sex scene. There's not a single cuss word. God's name is not taken in vain even once. Um, and yes, it's, it's a real page turner. The first couple of chapters start off kind of slow, kind of like what you would expect a 19th century novel to do. But by the time... Uh, I, well, there's several main characters, but by the time one of our main characters gets trapped in Dracula's castle, I haven't, from that point on, I haven't had problems with any of my students wanting to finish the rest of the book, especially when 
by the time that character escapes from Dracula's castle and the real plot of the story gets started, uh, by then students have figured out that whatever movie version they have in their head, the book is nothing like that. And it is an excellent uh, door into all sorts of great conversations uh, that we can have together as a class. So uh, if you have any questions about why Dracula um, I, I, or just anything about any of the books on the reading list, just let me know. Again, use that cell phone number, text me. Um, I, I'll be glad to answer that. Um, not a problem. So this is a lot of information and I'm I'm sorry for talking your ears off for two whole episodes, but hopefully this has helped. Hopefully it has re, uh, helped alleviate the jitters, the nerves, as we get close to that first day of school. I think it's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun. And honestly, I've got a lot of things planned for our in-person time that I think the kids will really get a kick out of. Uh, my intention is to save as much of the, quote, dates and dead people part of the class for the podcasts so that when we do get those in-person classes together, we can do the fun stuff. We can do the film analysis. We can do the skit, if World War I was a bar fight. We can have our Victorian tea party uh, and play whist, you know, that kind of thing. I I'm looking forward to that. And the academics, eh, it's part of it. Welcome to history. Welcome to humanities at Lighthouse. It's hard work but it's also going to be a lot of fun. And I can't wait to see y'all on August 4th. Take care, God bless, and I will see you soon.